2 Kings chapter 1, beginning verse 2. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria, much less exciting than the other. <laughs> and he lay injured, and so he sent messengers telling him, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up. You shall surely die. So Elijah went. And to that you can say, Amen. That is the word of the Lord. So is the other. I don't want to... but. When you've had a bad day, what do you do? When you hear the bad diagnosis, you're uncertain what you're going to do or what's going to happen, what do you do? When you just find yourself losing your direction and you're just kind of blah, disoriented, and you don't have your bearings, and somehow or another the meaning of life just doesn't seem to be uh, well in your grasp and you feel a little lost, what do you do? Where do you go? This story in 2 Kings 1 is a little odd because there's no explanation for what you're supposed to get out of it. But God is offended by his own king on the throne. Ahaziah is a son of Ahab. He's terrible. He had a terrible father, Ahab. He had a terrible mother, Jezebel. And then he had a terrible mentor. He wanted to be just like Jeroboam, who was the worst of the kings. You put all that together, and he's awful. He's only going to rule a couple years, and he's going to make a mess mercifully it's going to be short Oakley we had a discussion before service tonight I promise you in the hallway we talked about this but but he just he's terrible he gets replaced he doesn't have any offspring but his brother comes in and he's even worse so things are going to get worse than this but here's what makes God angry I don't know what he's doing on a lattice but for some reason he's on this lattice and he falls through it and he gets injured and he's not certain whether he's going to recover or not. This is one of those existential dilemmas. Am I going to recover? Am I going to die? And he's facing those real big questions of life. What's the purpose? And am I going to live any longer? What should I do if I want to be healed from this? And he sends people 50 miles south to foreign territory to consult Baal, Zebub. I have no idea who this is. Nobody does. I'm, I'm assuming it's Baal's, it's an aversion of Baal that has to do with healing and medicine or something like that. Nobody really knows, but he goes down to Beelzebub, or at least he sends them down there. And he asks the question, am I going to recover from this or not? Why does he go there? He's the king of Israel, the nation of the one living, holy God of the so sovereign of the universe, and he's going to some man-made object and asking, consulting a bit, what's going to happen? And I just wonder, God is so frustrated by this that he's going to make sure he dies from it. Because God is sick of them going somewhere else for their help when he wants to be their source of help. God has done amazing things. When you think about it, you're, you're coming to a place on top of this hill because God's invited you here. He's given you access to himself. You understand that, right? You have access to the one God, the omni-God, the omnipresent, the omni-knowing, the omni-loving, the omni-everything else. 
He is the sovereign, holy God of all things. You know that, right? And he has given you access. Go to that first screen if you would. I'm totally out of order with these screens, but he's initiated contact with us. Who started this conversation, us or God? God did. He made himself available. He, made him say, he talked to us. He talked throughout history in dreams and visions and people. He sent prophets. He wanted us to be able to access him. Now I'm going to use this word access with a verb and a noun. We're going to do the noun first. God gives us access to himself. You get this, right? You actually, without even a priest or any other human being, you can go right into the presence of God. You know that, right? It's a noun. You have access. The question is, do you access it? That's the verb. You have the access. God gives you a means. Do you use it? What kind of thing is this to be the people of God and never actually use the benefits he gives us? Here is Ahaziah, the king over God's people. He has access to God through the prophets and through the law. He's got all this stuff. He's anointed, so he's got some sort of expression of the Holy Spirit in him. He has access, and yet when trouble comes, he doesn't access him. Why is it that people, when they're stressed, somebody's did treated them wrong during the day and it brings great stress to them they go home and they open a bag of chips and they sit in front of netflix for four hours is there no god in your home is the god of heaven not in your life you're going to consult lays and netflix and you're not going to go to the living god of the universe You're going to call up a friend and make yourself feel worse as you relive all this stuff and rehash it and you get angry and angry? Are you not? Is there no God in your home? Is there no God in your marriage? Are you so at odds with each other? You can't get along with each other. And you're, you're not, is there no God of your marriage? Who are we? We have access, but we don't access it. That's God's anger. Here's the next screen. I want you to see this next screen. As a result, here, go ahead and hit the first two. God wants us to come to him. He's made it possible. He says, I want you to have access. I've given you my word. I've given you my Holy Spirit. I've given you the church. I've given you righteous, faithful people to be in relationship with. I want you to bring your concerns to me. And you know what he does? He feels really frustrated and disgusted when we don't turn to him. And instead, we turn to something else. And that's what this king is doing. The messengers were sent to go 50 miles south to Philistine territory to ask their God whether he, the, the, the king over God's people, is going to heal or not. And they came back faster than he anticipated. You know, you pretty well know how long it takes to go from here to Memphis and back. And so when they're back in 15 minutes, you're like, okay, what happened? Here's what happened. The messengers returned to the king and said to them, Elijah intercepted it at behest of the angel of the Lord, which I think is Jesus in the Old Testament. I think Jesus meets Elijah. Elijah sends Elijah to these messengers, and they're able to go back early. And the messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned so quickly? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us, and he said to us, Go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, Here's what the Lord says. You want to know what God says? Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? You will not come down from the bed on which you've gone up. You will surely die. And he said to them, what kind of man was this? And he describes the man. He wore a garment of hair, a belt of leather about his waist, 
And Ahaziah says, ah, I know who that was. That was Elijah. He knew it because his father told the stories. Ahab told the stories, and he was an enemy of Elijah, and so was Ahaziah. So the king, in some kind of response, and I don't know why he does this, but the king decides he's going to send a captain with 50 men to Elijah, and Elijah's sitting on top of a hill. They somehow know how to get to Elijah, and so they go up to the hill, these 50 men, and we're going to read it. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on top of a hill, and he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. Now, I don't know why the king sends these people. It does not say. My guess is going to be he wants to negotiate through Elijah. He wants to debate. He wants to maybe change the plans of God. He might want to, I want to argue against, I don't like what God said, so let's discuss this. Maybe that's, I don't know. But he comes down with a command, you come down here with me. And Elijah responds in a very dramatic way, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And fire came down from heaven and they were gone. This is caramel encore. For those of you who remember 1 Kings 18 some leftover fire that God hadn't quite done with comes down on these 50. Somehow word, get back, word, get back, word gets back to the king and he sends 50 more people and he says the same thing and they're fried too. A little more encore. The third one finally realizes southern etiquette and comes up to him and says, what is it, verse... Uh, 13, again the king sent captain of a third 50 uh, with his 50, and a third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let me have my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. View us as valuable. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men. Elijah could stop here and say, yes, I know, I saw it. But now let my life be precious in your sight. And then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, okay, Elijah, don't do it this time. This time go down with them and don't be afraid of them. So he arose and he went down with him to the king and he told the king the same message. Nothing changes. Elijah goes home and the king dies. What's this for? There is an implication when God gives us access. And it's a great honor and it's great grace. It's a great privilege to be in the presence of God, isn't it? It's a great privilege to know at any moment you can, by simply saying, dear God, or just saying God, or crying out to him, you have unfettered access to God through prayer. But you know what happens when you have it and you don't use it? No, you don't lose it. You upset God. He makes himself available to you, and then you say, okay, I you're available to me I don't want you I don't need you I can handle this on my own I can go to some other resource I can I can put my 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 energies into my job and get great satisfaction and meaning and significance to my life out of my job I don't need access to you God and by doing that you put judgment on yourself in the sight of a God who went to great trouble to provide that access When we can pray, and we so often choose not to, what is that? Is there no God? 
Is there no living, true, sovereign God in your life to whom you can go rather than a bag of chips or chocolate or something you drink or something you consume with your body or something you sit in front of for hours to mindlessly veg out into media? Is there no God in your life who can actually be there and provide comfort for you that you can find satisfaction in just spending time with him that relieves you of that stress? Why do we turn to other things? I've asked myself that a lot. God makes himself available. I know what Ahaziah should have done here. If he would have just studied his father's life, he would know there's several options he had. Number one, he could have repented. Oh man, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I, I know that. I, I, because Ahab, the one time he repented, God completely postponed all punishment and he saw it. He saw that. And God always says this, the moment you repent, I instantly forgive you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, turn, from, for, turn, turn my behavior from them and give them life. I will do it. He doesn't repent. He could have gone to a true prophet. Ahab had true prophets. He, he, uh, uh, he had all these, he had three or four of them. Micaiah the best. Elijah the most famous. He had any number of people he could have gone to access God and he just bypassed them all to go down south to a foreign God and put something else in it. What do we, do? What do we turn to instead of our living, holy, righteous God who loves us with this incredible devotion? I don't, I don't want to make it sound like giving you a guilt trip. Why would we want to turn to anything else? Listen to Isaiah 30. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but it's not mine. You want to do something, so you come up with this plan of how I'm going to handle this, and it's not mine. Who make an alliance, but it's not with me and my spirit. And they add that to their sin. Instead of coming to me, they come up with some plan of their own to go to, in this case, it's go to turn to Egypt and run to Egypt and look to them for help, right? who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction. You didn't ask me. You didn't ask me from help. You didn't ask me what you should do. Instead, you think, well, there's a powerful nation down there. They'll help us. They'll provide us some comfort. They'll provide us a, a place to hide for a while. And by doing that, instead of consulting me, you add another sin on top of all the other sins. You want to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. For us, it may not be Egypt, most likely you aren't planning any trips there. But for you, it might be something else. It might be like that old country song, my church, my church is going out on a country road and blasting up that country music and listening to Hank Jr. and saving my soul. I listen to that and I go, are you kidding me? Hank Jr.? Do you all know who Hank Jr. is? I'm pretty sure he ain't going to save your soul. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame. This thing that you think is going to protect you is actually going to destroy you. The shelter in the shadow of Egypt will be your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan and his envoys reach Haines, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit but shame and disgrace. And now... Go write before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for time to come. Y'all, 
He's saying, write this down so that in 2023, they'll know this. Write it down. It may be for a time to come as a witness forever. They are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, the prophets of God, we don't want to see what you see. To the true prophets of God, don't prophesy to us what's right. Don't tell us the words of God that are true. Instead, tell us what we want to hear. Smooth things, easy things, illusions, right? Leave the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Don't tell us what God says. Tell us what we want to hear. Tell us stuff we really like. I would rather watch something on Netflix and eat chips. And what does God consider this? You despise his word and trust in oppression and the perverseness and rely on them. Therefore, this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in the high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. Its breaking is like that of the potter's vessel. It's smashed so ruthlessly. You will come to ruin. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to trust in him because he knows something about himself. This is the original sin, right? Adam, Eve, don't trust that. Don't trust the wisdom that gives you. Trust me. And wasn't the walking in the cool of the evening, wasn't that walking with your creator in perfect harmony and peace, wasn't that greater than anything else you could have? Apparently not. It took a bite, and that was the end of that. Here's another way of describing Isaiah chapter 8. He says to them, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I want you to, I want you to have a copy. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. He's, he's not here. He seems to be delaying, but I want to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to write this down. We're going to wait. I'm going to hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs important. Just watch us. Isaiah says, watch me and my children. We're going to show you what you should do. We're going to wait. And while everything around us is stressful, we're going to wait on the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums. Go to those other sources of some kind of wisdom. Uh, go to the necromancers, the people who, who contact the dead, who chirp and mutter. Should not the people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching. Go to the teaching. Go to the testimony. Look at the words of God. He's revealed them to you. He's made himself accessible. And if they won't speak according to that revealed word, it's because they have no dawn. You know what that means? They have no light. And they're going to go walking through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged. And they'll speak contemptuously against their king and against their God. And they'll turn their faces upward. And they will look into the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. There's nowhere for them to turn. There is no light except for the light the Lord gives. God wants to be our God, and he has made himself accessible. And the only thing is, even though he is accessible, the question is, do we access him? And then they go after him, and he decides he doesn't like it, so he tries to get Elijah. And I, think, I have to think that he's trying to change the words of God. A couple weeks ago, Paul did this with me. This is what we do when we try to tell somebody a message that, that's not going to be pleasant. We, were ha we had like 18 funerals in three days. 
That's a little exaggeration. Paul was telling about another one. He said, there's another one. Would you be able to do that? And he said, but now listen, don't kill the messenger. That's how he started this. Don't kill the messenger. That's how we, don't kill. And that's what Elijah needs to say. Look, this is not my words. You're not, you're not, I'm not your enemy. I'm just giving you what God says. I think it's just a lot of people who don't like relying on God or his messengers. But we have some. God gives us access to his, himself. Whether we access him is up to us. And he is the one who wants us to turn to him in all our troubles. A bad day, he wants to hear it. A bad diagnosis, he wants you to come to him. A lost direction, a sense of just total overwhelmed by life and stress overwhelming you and, and bad people seem to be attacking you in different places and you feel alone and isolated. He wants to be the one you go to. And who you actually go to in those moments is what your God is for real. Now a couple things for New Testament people. Luke chapter 9. You remember the story. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparation for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. They didn't like the idea of his plans, right? And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them? Where do you think they got this idea? Where do you think James and John came up with the idea of going, frying them? They got it from here. These people were rude to Jesus. These people would rather go to something else than Jesus. So let's just fry them right here. But these were unbelievers. You need to give people a chance to respond. So this is another place in Scripture where this story comes true. And there's another one. The only other place where Beelzebub makes an appearance. Does anybody remember when this happened? Matthew chapter 12. I put 24 up there, but it's not. Cut that in half. It's 12, but at least it's not about Abishag, the young virgin to sleep with David thing. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and healed him. And so the man spoke and saw, and the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This is only by Beelzebub that he can do this. The only other time in Scripture this name appears, it's like they're they're trying to make Jesus like Ahaziah, like Ahab and an evil guy. He consulted something else. But the most important comparison, it seems to me, is this. There was another time when there was a king on a hill. You'd call it Mount of Olives. And a captain with his men came to get him. And he could have called 10,000 angels and done an Elijah on them. But instead, he went with them. And he let them kill him. But he was the king. He was willing to lose. He was willing to be defeated in the eyes of the world. He was willing to let them take him, do whatever. And here's the reason why. That was the cost of access. The only way 
this worship tonight is possible is because of what that king did. The only reason you can even casually send up a prayer is because of what this man did that day. The only reason you have the Holy Spirit in your life to guide you is because of what that man did that day from that hill. He let them take him, these captain and these men, take him and then start this process that would lead to his death on a cross. That man, instead of pulling off an Elijah, which sounds so dramatic and sounds so victorious, have you noticed the signs and wonders that Elijah did, didn't seem to do much for the rebellious heart. Didn't change anybody. But when that king let those men take him and nail him to a cross, that changed the world. And it gave you access. When you pray, do it often. Do it often. But every single time, remind yourself, this was provided to me at great cost and God wants to hear from me. It was worth it to him to give up a great amount in order to me have access like this. And when he gives you access, please access him. Access him. Take your stuff to him. He's a God who wants to hear. He's a God who wants you to come to him with all your troubles and stuff. And before you go anywhere else and before you turn to anything else, please, why doesn't it make the most obvious sense in the world? Go to God first. And show your kids. I know what everybody else in the world's doing, but there's a God in your house. There's a God in this house. A God who can do anything about anything and he wants to hear everything. You serve a God. We serve a living, mighty, <coughs> holy, righteous God and he's given you access. <coughs> so, access him and show them how. And don't turn to something much less. Makes no sense at all, and yet we are a whole nation of people doing that and turning to created things that cannot save us. There is a God of the Lord's church, and he's available to every one of us at great cost, and we need to access him as often as we can for everything that matters. That's where our meaning will come from. That's where our strength will come from. That's where our stress can go out to. That's the God of the church. And he's here. And he wants to be the God of your life. And if you've never given your life to him, why not now as we stand, as we sing together?